You guys should start to feel the air on here in a little bit. It's got a little, it was cozy, it was warm. Yeah. And about 15 minutes later, y'all would have been sleeping and snoozing on me. <laughs> so I, I said, let's freeze them out. No, I didn't. I said, let's make it 74. How about that? 73, 74. Well, please open your Bibles to 1 Kings. We've come as far as chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and one of the ushers, elders, or pastors will bring you a Bible if anyone needs a Bible in here this evening. All right. Okay. Well, just, again, as a way of getting a running start to just reacclimate everyone, maybe you weren't with us last week as well, just to give everybody a kind of caught, caught up on where we're at with Jeroboam. Okay. So as you remember, uh, Solomon, first 20 years of his ministry, had done well. I mean, God had given him a blessing of wisdom and being able to pour that out and uh, use it effectively for the ministry and uh, marvelous things, riches, wealth, uh, just favor, world uh, upon the world stage like never, ever seen before. And Solomon, for the latter 20 years, sad, sad situation, turns to the very three things in Deuteronomy 17 that God specifically said the kings were not to do. He engages in the riches and the wealth and begins the accumulation of that. He turns around and he begins to engage in the chariots and the horsemen, which is military, what we would call military arsenals or weapons. He begins weapons trading with other countries, actually. And the third and final straw was he began to take uh, wives and concubines when God had decided, desired it one man, one uh, woman for life. And what he ended up doing here is he took 700 wives and 300 concubines. So not one sin, but a thousand sins. A thousand sins. And so God goes to him, because he had already gone to him twice, and says, you do this, Solomon. You understand these things. I will rip the kingdom from your hand. But I won't do it right now because out of love and respect for David, your father. But I will do this because God is a promise keeper and he's a, he's a God of his word. And then after that, his son, and really the only son we actually will read about, right? When you think about it, we, we see Solomon's son, Rehoboam. The only son we hear of that dynasty because of his disobedience, his idolatry. He began to set up all these high places, Solomon did. And he caused the people to worship pagan gods. Gods of the Canaanites, gods of sexual immorality, orgies and pagan worship and all that kind of stuff. It was horrible. And that's exactly what happened. Well, Rehoboam arrives on the scene. He's now king. The elders come to him and say, Rehoboam, the people right now, they've been overtaxed. If you lighten the taxes, if, if you go easy on the people, I think, I think things will be well here with you that way. Rehoboam says, you know what? Thank you for your counsel. Come back in a few days but I want to hear the counsel of some of the other guys, guys my age. I want to hear what they have to say. And as you read it, and we read it together, it, it was orchestrated because he turns around. He already had his mind made up the way he's even speaking to those guys. And he says, hey, this is what they're saying to do. But we know, kind of like already implying the plan. And he says, you know, no, we're not, we're not going to do it. And they come back and say, don't do that. You know, they, they, if they say that to you, you tell them that your pinky won't be anything compared to his waist. In other words, you're going to lay it on heavy and thick, even thicker and heavier than what your father Solomon did. And what does that lead to? Well, that leads to a break. Because of that, it effectively creates a civil war in some aspects. Rehoboam ends up with taking Judah and Benjamin as king, and those two tribes break off from the other 10 tribes. Now, we're going into chapter 13, and just before we do that, King Jeroboam in chapter 12, well, really, 1 Kings 11, arrives on the scene. And he's acting under God's direction, right? He led a rebellion against this evil king, Rehoboam. And the outcome, again, was Israel being divided, right? And as I already mentioned, Jeroboam becomes the king or will become the king over the larger 10 tribes and Rehoboam will be over the two tribes. And if you remember, the prophet had come to Jeroboam and said to Jeroboam, because of the wickedness of Rehoboam, 
and he tore his robe. You know how expensive robes were in those days? Expensive. It was his outer garment. He tore it in 12 pieces, and he gave him 10 and explained to him it was an action sermon that the other two tribes would stay with Rehoboam, but the other 10 were going to go to Jeroboam. This was God's doing. This was God's doing because he was snatching the, the kingdom out of the hand of Rehoboam because of the sin. He gave him a suvin vastral custle. If you follow my commandments and statutes and judgments, I will be well with you. If you don't, then I won't. And that's called a suvin vassal covenant. And so basically he goes in through and does that. And so Jeroboam, what does he do? Well, Jeroboam, right, which actually happened to be one of Solomon's servants when he was doing some of the building project, he flees. Do you know where he flees to? Is very, very important. He flees to Egypt. You know what Egypt represents in the Bible, don't you? The world. He flees to the world. He's going to bring the world back with him. When Jeroboam comes back and he's going to do, this is why I'm setting the stage again for us. Because he's going to bring the world. Instead of, instead of emptying himself of the world, he's going to try to bring the world back to Israel, to God's people. And this is what ultimately is going to happen. And so, He's going to forever be remembered as the king who caused Israel to sin. As we keep reading, uh, 15 uh, kings later, just in the 10 tribes in Israel, what's known as the northern tribes, he is going to be referenced as that. Can you imagine going down in history as the king that did what? Caused Israel to sin. And how did they sin? Idolatry. Idolatry. So he, he became a prototype for every king hereafter. Every king hereafter in scripture. Why? Because Jeroboam rejected the promises of God. God had already sent the prophet. He said he was going to do it. Jeroboam didn't wait on the prophet. Jeroboam took it into his hands, and he was going to be God. He was going to lead. And you know what? Because he breaks this Susan Vastral covenant, because that was part of what Jeroboam was told by God, hey, you too, because he said, Solomon his wickedness and sin and idolatry is the reason I'm taking the kingdom out of his hand. I'm giving it to you, Jeroboam. Don't you do the same thing. That's what he says. Don't you do the same thing. And what is the very thing that Jeroboam did as we read in chapter 12? He begins setting up the high places. He turns around because of his insecurity and fear of Rehoboam and everything going on. God never told him because of the, you remember the three feast days? They would go back to Jerusalem and have those feast days, tabernacles, what have you like that, okay? He got insecure. He says, if they go back to Judah, they go back to Jerusalem, excuse me, that way, well, maybe they're going to turn around and find favor with Rehoboam and start worshiping him again. And once they do that, I'll lose them. Do you see what insecurity does? It causes you to be irrational and anxious and make all kinds of decisions that aren't from the Lord. It actually causes you to trust in yourself instead of God and the promises of God. And so what he ends up doing is he ends up building these high places, these altars. And he, he almost, I'm going to say it this way, he creates a religious system. It's the best thing that I can relate to what we've seen in our lives today in the last 2,000 years after Christ came, religions. You know the difference between religions and relationships. Relationships with Jesus Christ, the one true Savior. Religions are when you take Jesus and you add something to it. Then it becomes a religion because it becomes a form of idolatry. You have some responsibility of workspace to do in this endeavor. It's an ideology. And that's what religions are. And so here he introduces a religion. And then it's not a new religion, by the way. It's a religion of what again? Calf worship. Where did he go and flee when Solomon and Rehoboam, everybody's after him? Where did he go and flee? Remind me again. Egypt, the world. Where do you think he learned the same thing that Aaron learned? Calf worship. Pagan idolatry. That's what we learn in the world. We don't go to the world and expect to get more spiritual. We come out of the world and let Jesus Christ change the heart, transform the heart. The church doesn't have to be more appealing today. We don't have to be new and sexy and exciting. Excuse me for being blunt about it. We don't have to do any of those things. The culture is looking for truth. The change happens in the church, not the church changing to meet the culture. It's upside down today, and we wonder why. Well, after this sin that he practiced in connection with this cult, 
it brings God's wrath, doesn't it? Ending Jeroboam's dynasty after two generations. Now, it's going to cause the downfall of this whole kingdom. But his rise was prophesied, and guess what else was? His fall. His fall. His fall was prophesied that way too. Now, this, this evening we're going to be going into, uh, like I said here, chapter 13. And it's going to talk about Jeroboam's uh, doom foretold there. Well, actually, let me back up. In chapter 13, we're going to be introduced to a prophet. And we're going to be introduced to an older gentleman that is also referenced in Scripture as the old prophet. And the difference between the two is one is going to be sent by God. He's going to be going right to the middle of this public display that's happening because Jeroboam, the last place we left him in Scripture, is he's up there and he's declaring this religious system. And this is where you now worship, one in Bethel, you know, one on the other side. This is where you're going to come. This is where you're going to make your sacrifices. You're going to worship these calves. You're going to commit this idolatry. And he's making this public and profession for the ten tribes of Israel, for everybody to be seeing in the north. And God is going to send this prophet there to say, you know what? Your bones and the rest of this altar here will never be used for this kind of... He's basically going to call him out on it, this idolatry. And he's going to be faithful to do that. God's going to tell him, don't return the same way you came. He's going to go out, and then there's going to come this old prophet. And he's going to come up to him. He's going to lie to him. He's going to tell him a lie. He's going to say, God told me there's a whole lot for us to learn here tonight. God told me that I'm to turn around and you're to come to my house. And this ultimately ends up leading the prophet to death. He a terrible, terrible death by a lion. And so as we go through this here, we're, we're going to see this judgment and everything that's going to come because of Jeroboam's unfaithfulness. And right about now, if we're keeping the timeline, just so you know, we're at about 931 B.C., Okay, 931 B.C. By the time we finish this, we'll make our way to somewhere around, you know, because he served 22 years roughly. We're going to make our way somewhere around, you know, 913 to 909. And what we're going to see as we spend the rest of the time going through Kings and or Chronicles is we're going to flip flop. We're going to go through the northern, through the southern, back to the northern, back to the southern that way. There's not one single king that will ever be listed in the north as ever a good, faithful king. Not one. They will all be evil, and Jeroboam will all, they all be compared to Jeroboam and the evil ways of Jeroboam. Now, there will be a few in the south, but you might remember weeks ago I gave out a, a handout. I don't have it up here handy, but it's probably in the back, and I had all the kings and even the prophets and when we introduce the book of Kings, it might be helpful for you to bring these out as we start going through this now. Again, to reorientate yourself with the king and the prophet. We have extra ones in the back if you need them, just so you can follow along as we're going. But let's, let's begin here in chapter 13, verse 1. And behold, a man of God went from Jerusalem, or sorry, went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar, burning incense. So what's he doing? He's, he's engaged in false worship, calf worship, uh, you know, certainly public display here of all this going on. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. This is this, is this prophet, this man of God he's talking about. O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold a child, Josiah, by name shall be born to this house of David. This is prophetic, what's happening right now. This is, this is prophetic. Some 290 years later, this will happen. But this is prophetic right now. He, he's declaring this. And Josiah, by the way, was a good king. One of the good kings that we read in, in the southern He's talking about this. But behold, a child, jo, Josiah, by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on he you shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. Now, again, pretty amazing prophecy. Hold your finger here. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 23.
2 Kings chapter 23, and we're going to go to verses 15 and 16. We're going to read about Josiah. Again, he was a king uh, that reigns in Judah, a righteous king. He actually goes in and orders the house to be clean. They find the Bible. They found this book, which at this time would have been what we know as the Pentateuch, the first five books of our Old Testament. He finds this book, and he begins the reading. He begins reading through these things, and he actually restores true worship in Israel for the first time in hundreds of years this way. Now, as he goes to restore true worship, look what happens in verse 15. We, we actually see the prophecy fulfilled. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, that's what we're reading about right now in 1 Kings 13, and the high places which Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. You see what I mean? Every single time we're going to say, he made Israel sin. We're never going to forget what Jeroboam did. Introduced sin to all of Israel. Had made both that altar and the high place he broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. And Josiah turned, and he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things, which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done at Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there and all the altars and burned men's bone on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. Now why is this significant? Because it's exactly what God had prophesied how many hundreds of years? He said, this is what's going to happen. Like I said, almost 290 years to be specific years later. This is exactly how it went down. And we're going to see that even what God did, because God brought this judgment, by the way, even to the prophet because he's not faithful, even though he didn't honor what God said, even though the old prophet's going to lie to him. You're going to see supernatural things, unnatural things happen that you can't explain any other way than God's hand directly involved with this judgment he's bringing to the prophet because he didn't obey and follow the ordinances of God. So let's continue where we were here. Verse 3, and he gave a sign. Now, typical in that day, especially when you were foretelling or giving a prophecy that might be 50 years or 100 or 150 years later, it was customary for a prophet to give an immediate sign for that person to know that this was a true prophecy of God. Because, you know, who's going to be alive 200 and something years later to know that this is going to be happening? So often a sign would be given almost immediately or within a very short time after the prophecy was given by a prophet of old. And they would turn around and say, well, this is of the Lord because they saw the sign. So he says, and he gave him a sign that same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Isn't that what we just read in 2 Kings? So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched his hand out from the altar saying, arrest him. Can you picture it? Let the video run. He's sitting there. He's got the incense. He's making the sacrifice. The man of God comes and says, God is going to judge you for your idolatry. Your bones in this altar is going to crack and the ashes are going to go off it. And you're going to see that the Lord God is in this, and you are never to commit idolatry like this again, and there will be a punishment for this idolatry in front of everybody. This is a public spectacle. You have hundreds of thousands of people there, all ten tribes gathering in the north. They came here to worship. This is a major, major deal to this king, Jeroboam. I mean, he, he's basically being called out in front of everybody publicly. And so what does he do? A natural reaction. He takes his finger out and he says, arrest him. Arrest him. And he points out, grab that guy. Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered. That word and idea behind it isn't just like what we think as it comes back. It actually means to paralyze. 
His hand came back that he couldn't even move it. He had pointed it out and it actually became paralyzed right in that moment so that everybody could see what was happening and nobody could deny that God was in this and God was authoring this. And so that he could not pull it back to himself. Verse 5, the altar also was split apart, which was the sign he gave that this was a true prophecy. And the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, please entreat the favor of your Lord, of the Lord, your God. Notice that, your God, not my God, your God. So what is uh, Jeroboam doing at this moment? Now even Jeroboam's convinced. Even Jeroboam's convinced at this point. Please understand who we're talking about. This is a man that had a prophet, right, already come to him, Ahijah. And as Ahijah came and spoke to him, he told him that he would give him the ten tribes, that God himself was going to do this. He knew God existed. He knew God was doing all of this. But he was not his God. He was a God or you know, something else like that. There's a big difference. We can't walk around and saying, I know a Jesus. Is he my Jesus? Is he my Lord and Savior? Because if he's not your Lord and Savior, if he's not your Christ, well, then you're not saved. You're not saved. If he's somebody else's God, if he's your mom's God, if he's your son's God, your daughter's God, or grandma's God, it's all about relationship and not religion. He's got to be your God. So he looks and he says, please entreat the favor of the Lord, your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. Can you imagine? Humbling himself in that way in front of all the people. Can't move his hand. Pray for me. He knew where to go when things got tough, didn't he? He knew to cry out and say, please pray to your God. I need help. I need help. And right now, I know that even though I'm sitting on an altar that I built with calves standing before me that I made, that I can't turn around and call upon those calves to heal my hand. Can I? Because I made them myself, and I know that they're not gods. What gods do we bring into our lives? What gods do we hold on to that have absolutely no power and no ability in our lives, and yet we carry them around behind us for the journey in the race of life? And all they do is hold us back and weigh us down and draw us further away from Christ. That's what's happening with Jeroboam, isn't it? This isn't a man that doesn't understand. This isn't a man that doesn't know. This is a man that's rejecting God. This is what rejection looks like. And there's a consequence to the rejection. There's a consequence to sin. So the man of God entreated the Lord. And the king notices basically he went to God. God, what do I do? And God says, yes, you can do this. Is that not mercy? Is that not grace? And the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. What do you think that was a, uh, you talk about a sign, that was a sign of a sign. Because my God heals. Your God heals. Your God has the power to heal. Doesn't mean he heals everyone. It doesn't mean he heals all the time. He, maybe, may, sometimes no, yes. God's in control of all that because it's all about his plan and purpose. But he has the power to do it. It's never about his sovereignty. God is sovereign. But what we see right here is we see a man that comes face to face with the fact that his idol can't match up anything close to the true God, just like every one of the idols we carry in our lives. At this point, you don't think all the people, all the nations gathered publicly at this point are watching this? They know what's happened. They know the wool's been pulled over their eyes. At first, he led them into sin. Now, what continues from here, they lead themselves into sin. Amen? You understand that? Because they've seen it now. They know with their eyes what's happening. They see that their God, these calves, these idols, the Canaanite you know, gods, the gods from you know, Egypt, the world, they can't help him. 
I had to admit it right in front of me. The God, the Lord, heal me. Everybody's watching and everybody sees it. There's no denying it. All the people at this point have now seen that the one true God has the ability to heal, and he's a promise keeper. He also knows that what they're doing now is idolatry. Everything they're doing here is not commanded or given by the Lord. Because maybe up to this point, we don't know. Maybe Jeroboam was telling him, no, 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 God told me to do this. You know, I, I don't want you to go down to the southern. No, 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 God, but God never said that to Jeroboam, did he? He says, no, I'm going to give you the ten tribes. But he never said to change your place of worship. We don't get to worship God the way we want to. That's, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. That's how religions are born. When people try to worship God the way they want to. I don't want to pick on the Roman Catholic Church. I know some of you know, you know, I grew up Catholic. I, I'm only going from a past experience. What I grew up, I can tell you the deities and the different things. Go to Vatican II. Look at the things that they say that you have to do to be saved. It's not Jesus alone. It's Jesus and the sacraments. That's works-based after Vatican II. Go to the Mormons, go to the Jehovah's Witness, put the call. Islam. Take any of it. It's religion. Because they've taken the truth of Christ and then they've added to it or taken away from it. And isn't that what Jeroboam has just done? He created a worship or a religious system. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me. And refresh yourself, and I will give you reward. Now, I mean, after all, there is everybody there, and he is a political man. He's got to do some political wrangling at this point, right? Everybody's watching. He knows uh, this is a way to do some damage control. Hey, why don't you come back to the house? We'll have some dinner. This is my guy, huh? Let's get the shot, get the photo. Huh? I'm with him. This is the guy. Everybody, everything's okay. He's, he's my buddy. He's coming to the house for dinner. We're good. Everything's good. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half of your house, again, he's declaring this publicly, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. You know what that is? That's a public rejection. Everybody's seeing it. And there's no way for Jeroboam to live this down. This, this, this can't be misunderstood or misrepresented in any way. Even though Jeroboam misrepresented God, God's not going to clearly misrepresent what Jeroboam's done. For so it was commanded by the word of the Lord. Please underline this. This is very important why everything's going to unfold from this point. Because God had given him a word. For it was commanded by the word of the Lord saying, You shall not eat bread, nor shall you drink water, nor return the same way you came. Isn't that interesting? God already knew that Jeroboam was going to make the offer. And God already went before him and said, man, you know, this, this man of God, we're not told his name, we didn't give his name of the prophet, but this man of God, he says, you don't go back that way, you don't go in there, you don't do this. You, you, you in no way allow any of this. God goes before us. That's why he says, who can be against us? God goes before us. Even, even if there's Jeroboam's in our lives, someone we know, different things like that, God goes before us. He says, you don't return the same way you came. So he went another way, and he did not return by the way he came to Bethel. So he follows God's commandments. He's following God's commandments, right? However, there's going to be some disobedience here. Because he said, don't return and go back a different way. He didn't say, don't go back at all. He said, just don't go back the way you came. What's a half-truth? It's a full lie, isn't it? All of us, aren't we just one step away from that? I know I am. So easy for me to misspeak, say one thing, it's a half-truthful lie. There it is. Now, here we go. We're going to be introduced to this other prophet that is called the old prophet here. Now, an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came out and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. I mean, this is, this is headline news. I mean, everybody's talking about it. They're going back to their houses. I mean, it's a big deal. And their father said to them, which way did he go? 
for his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor drink, nor go in and eat what you have right there, nor with you, nor go in, neither can I eat bread, nor drink water with you in this place. There's a couple things we learn here. God doesn't change his mind. God is not a respecter of persons. There's a couple things we need to take some notes on tonight. We need to really, in these last days, especially as what we've been reading in 1 Timothy, even though we're in 2 Timothy now, about this idea of deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Because it is, boy, Satan's clever. He's, he's quite actually quite brilliant in the way that he tries. He's the father of all lies. He's very manipulative. And he can tell a half lie and make it sound like an amazing truth. After all, he even tried to do that with Jesus Christ, who inspired the entire word of God. That just shows you the, <laughs> the madness of Lucifer, the madness of Satan, the insanity. So he somehow thinks this man will, he'll change his mind. I'm a different, I'm not, I'm not Jeroboam. As though God's word now changes because of the individual. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way you came. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me. That should be always a concern when we listen to an angel more than we listen to God. You ever heard of Moroni, the angel of the Mormons? Do you understand where that cult came from? That an angel appeared to Joseph Smith like that? Moroni, he sees these plates, he sees this whole thing, and he turns around and he begins to believe these things? And yet, they go back and they specifically contradict many of God's teaching when in the Old and New Testament. When God comes and gives you a word or another word, he's not going to contradict the word he's already given you. We don't see that anywhere in scripture. That's a, we're going to pay attention. I'm going to give you six, five to six things tonight that we're going to go through that we can clearly discern between a deceiving spirit and a doctrine of demons. But, but we're just getting started here because God's laying this out. God has given us 1 Corinthians 10. What are these things for in the Old Testament? As examples that we may learn, as he says in 1 Corinthians 10, not to repeat these things. It's, God, doesn't, God doesn't have this for you and I. This isn't for you and I. We're not to fall into these things, to fall into these traps and snares. It's not for us. As born-again believers, those blinders have fell off our eyes. We have the word of God. So he said, oh, I, I too am a prophet. He's lying in some capacity. He says, an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. What was he doing? He was lying to him. Now, what should the man of God done? He should have gone to the Lord. Lord, test the spirits, right? Discern the spirits. Hold, hold your finger here for a minute, please. Uh, right at verse 18. And turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'd like us to look at verse 21. Paul the Apostle, who was inspired to write to the church in Thessalonica, in chapter 5, specifically says, as given revelation by Jesus Christ directly to the Apostle Paul, test some things. Wait a minute. Is that what your Bible says? No, my Bible says test all things. Circle that word all in your Bible. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. That's the first thing, right? And while you're, while you're holding your, your finger there, we'll continue in the New Testament. But also, turn, do me a favor, turn with your other finger in your other hand to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let's see if you're amstidextrous or however they say that fancy word there. Use both hands. 
Deuteronomy chapter 18. Isn't God's word amazing? I mean, we could, there's such pearls, stringing pearls together, the way the Lord speaks to our hearts. And he's given it to us in both testaments. So that's not just one area, one place. That Oh, that's not what that means. That's out of context, Pastor. No, God's, God has sprinkled it through the whole word of God. So we can't misunderstand these things. So we, we can be on guard, friends. So we can be on guard. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I specifically want to uh, uh, draw our attention here. We're going to read um, in verse 20, okay? Chapter 18, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall what? Die. There's a pretty heavy weight put on this. And you know why? Because God's name is lifted higher than his word. And there's a reason for that, because men are all too eager to say, thus saith the Lord, without knowing it's directly from God and confirmed in the word of God. And as Bereans, we have to test all things, as we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, all things test every spirit, to know what is good and to hold fast to what is good so we don't get deceived by false spirits or lies. But there was a serious capital punishment put on this. If you misrepresent God, you should die in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. That was God's decree. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word of the Lord has not spoken? Right? It's a good question. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord... If that thing does not happen or come to pass, that this is the thing which the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. You know, we can read on. The idea here is that we don't listen to that, and we call that person what? A false prophet. There's a whole lot of false prophets today. Just around the corner here, I heard they're coming this week, and the, new, the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, is spinning up again. Right in this area, invite, and I won't go through all the names that are being invited to this area <clears throat> to come in and to, again, the Lord's dreams and all this alternate doctrine and taking these people and, and, and lathering up the Holy Spirit, emotionalism and all this, all this false teaching. God told me God showed me, and yet it contradicts the word of God. The church is in trouble today. We need to be praying, praying like we've never prayed before. Because people are so hungry for truth. People are being hurt. People are being wrecked. Some people are afraid to come into good churches where they're teaching the word of God line by line because they don't know what they're going to get. They don't, they've been so bruised and beat up over the years either by a faith and prosperity gospel that they're told, well, you don't have enough faith and that's why you're sick and dying. Can you imagine? Or, you know, why you're struggling with your finances and things are tough. It, it's, it's, brother, it's because you're not given enough. You don't have enough faith. Fleecing sheep. These things are heavy to the Lord. These things are very heavy to the Lord. He, he loves his sheep. He wants to protect his sheep. Turn, to, <clears throat> turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew chapter 7. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about this because God is passionate and zealous about these things. Even Jesus Christ himself, when he was on the Sermon of the Mount and he was giving the teaching, I call it the discipleship boot camp, and he was there with the multitude and the disciples and the apostles. As he was sitting there and he was teaching them, he was pouring into them. Jesus Christ himself warns 2,000 years ago. He warns them. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. But inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And how do you know them? You shall know them by their what? Fruit. Do they say one thing and do another? Do they contradict the word of God? 
Do they know better than God? Do they micromanage God? Are they the only ones that know? And you and I were lesser because we don't have that supernatural special antenna that they got. Some of you are laughing, but you know it's real and you've heard people say it. It's, it wrecks people. You'll know them by the fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't, he makes this clear now. Every tree that does not bear, right? A good tree that cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree uh, bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And isn't this interesting what he says next in verses 21 through 23? So many times taken out of context, but we're right in the context of what he's talking about. A false prophet. One who uses the name of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Or as this man is lying, as we're reading this old prophet, right, in 1 Kings, what does he say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, hear now, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So many people have come to this passage and, and, and sometimes even come to talk. Pastor, is that me? I, I'm, af- I don't, yeah, I'm afraid. I, how do I know I'm saved? Or, you know, is he going to say to me, Lord, Lord? He's not speaking to you, friends. If you're even concerned about that, he's not speaking to you. What was the context of what he was talking about? Go back there. What did he say? Beware of false prophets. He's talking about men that are turning around and declaring things presumptuously for God or about God and then actually doing what? Drawing men to themselves. That's what he's doing. He's drawing men to themselves. That's what a false prophet does. And what happens then? Is he really a believer? Or is he playing the hypocrite, an actor, as we know what the Greek means? That's this that's what God is showing us here. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, please. Turn to your right there. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. If you're not able to capture all these scriptures tonight, you can, uh, on the church app or uh, on the website, the, the teaching will be up there. I encourage you, go back and study this. Take time. Go through this. Chew the meat. Chew the meat on the bone. 1 John chapter 4. We're explicitly told by God, beloved, that's you and I. It's talking to the church here. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not God. And this is the spirit of who? Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world. It's that fruit of the tree, like Jesus said. You're going to know them by their fruits. How are they speaking? What are they saying? And the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He says we can know. He tells us right here, we can know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By what? First of all, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, and that he's come in the flesh. Think about how many cults try to say that Jesus Christ, especially in the first hundred years, they attack the humanity of Jesus. And then if they didn't do that, they took the divinity. Think of the Gnostics, mysticism, all of those things that try to deny the humanity, deny the immaculate conception, deny the fact that Emmanuel, God is with us. I had a 
man several years ago come into this fellowship. He was here for a short period of time, uh, listened on the radio. He was a Hope FM listener. Praise the Lord. He was listening. He came in. He was starting to sit under the word. And one of his buddies at work said, hey, you got to come with me. I found this great church. It's really up and coming, man. A lot of people are, it's great, man. It's really, they got a lot of cool things going on over there. We're going to head over. And then he comes back the next week and he says, hey, pastor, can I talk to you for a minute after service? I said, sure, man, what's up? He says, I, I was over there. He says, man, I, my mind is wrecked. My world is wrecked. They were showing me all these things in scripture. And I'm like, oh, that's great. What were they showing you? He says, you know what? Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. He really wasn't human. They thought he was. That's why when he went to the cross, you know, the swoon theory or other things like that, it was mystical. It didn't really happen. And I looked at him and I was like, brother, you've been talking to deceiving spirits. You've been talking to Satan, demons. And he just looked at me like so shocked, so shocked. And I remember saying, show me, brother, in Scripture where this is. And then I said, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you know Jesus? Is he your God and my God, or is he just my God? I never saw him again. I never saw him again. We've never seen him again. I pray for him. But he's just one. He's just one of many that get caught up as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Those that do what? Well, since we're that close, let's look. We were just there a couple Sundays ago. 1 Timothy chapter 4, the great apostasy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will do what? Depart from the faith. Giving heed to deceiving spirits of doctrines and deeming, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And then he goes on to a bunch of legalism, forbidding to marry. And we talked about that when we went through those passages. You know, again, very easy, a denomination like the Catholic Church. They do that with the priest, right? What did, what did Jeroboam do? You remember? He turned around and he basically took men that weren't on the tribe of Levi. And he, what did he do? He just says, hey, raise your hand if you want to be a priest. Anybody want to be a priest in here? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you want to be a pastor. Anybody just want to be a pastor? We'll just put your head on staff. You start tomorrow. How's that sound? You laugh. I know another church less than 45 minutes from here. The pastor did that very thing. Hey, these people over here need the word of God. Who, who wants to go? Who wants, not who's called. Not who's the Lord sending. Not who the Lord has given a word. And you know what happened? I forget, three months, got a better job offer and bailed. Bailed on him. What happened to those group of 15 or so that just started gathering? What did they just see? A man misrepresent God? You know what they started to think? Is that who Jesus is? Because if that's who Jesus is, I don't want him. This is why it matters. This is why God said, hey, the false prophet under the old covenant, he should what? He should die. There was a, there's a capital punishment to this. Well, well please turn back, and we're going to finish up chapter 13 here in a few minutes. It's, we're almost there here. What, he's, what we need to learn from this passage here tonight. God's, God's teaching us a lot here. and He's teaching my heart. He's opening my spirit to these things. To understand, we need to discern the spirits in these latter days. All of us. So what does he do in verse 19? So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Uh, what did he do? Disobedience. He disobeyed God. We're going to talk about why that happened, but he disobeyed God. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. In other words, the old prophet. You know why? Because I think that man was convicted. That old prophet got convicted, I think, in that moment. And the Lord actually gives him a word right in that moment, which is remarkable to hear. 
And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, and drank water in this place, which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. You're a dead man walking, buddy. You disobeyed God. You're a dead man walking. So it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him. The old prophet saddled the donkey for the, the young man, the, the man of God, probably sitting there beside himself, I imagine. And the prophet whom he had brought back. When he ate, when he was gone, a lion, verse 24, met him on the road and killed him. Now some of you are like, What? What he's eating dinner, God speaks to the guy that lied to him, just so we're all tracking. The, the, the prophet that actually lied to him speaks to him. He's convicted by it. I think God, I don't know what, and begins to say, out of the Lord, you know, fear of the Lord. He begins to say, hey, you, you shouldn't have done this. The Lord has commanded you. Thus says the Lord. The Lord said this to you. You disobeyed that. You're a dead man walking. He gets and goes out and grabs, you know, and saddles the whole donkey. The guy gets on it. He's walking. I mean, he's riding. And then next thing you know, out of nowhere, a lion jumps on him, takes this man down, and kills him. Now, it's important to pay attention to these details. It's very, very important because we're going to see something very unnatural and, dare I say, supernatural happen here that tells me and you that God is the author of this. And that God is in this judgment. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. Now, friends, have you ever seen meat thrown into a lion's cage? You know what happens. It's dinner time. Now, even if you could say, well, you know what? The lion killed the corpse. The corpse is there. You know what? Maybe the lion's not hungry. He had, he had just killed, you know, he's killed a couple of times this morning. He's not hungry right now. Have you ever seen a donkey watch a man get mauled and stand right there and just go, I'm not moving. I could be killed in a minute, but my instinct to tell me to run as a donkey, I, it's just not happening. I'm, I'm going to camp out here. That's unnatural. Whenever you see something get mauled, the horses or anything, what do they do? They run. Something on, this should catch our attention. Something's unnatural or supernatural going on here. This, is, this should catch our attention here. And there, men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road, and the lion standing by the corpse... Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now, when the old prophet had brought him back from the way had heard it, he said, it is the man of God who was, please underline in your Bible, disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son, saying, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his, his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn. Wait a minute, did you hear that? Underline that in your Bibles, to mourn. That's why I believe this man felt guilty for what he did. He lied to this prophet. And when he did that, he felt remorse and guilt. And God spoke to him and used him as a mouthpiece of judgment. And even worse, because he was the man that spoke the truth at that point through the word of the Lord that then condemned and convicted that very man. Then he laid... So it says he came to the city and he mourned and he buried him, sorrow over what he had done. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb and they mourned over him saying, alas, my brother. So it was after he had buried him that he spoke to all his sons saying, 
When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones besides his bones. Isn't this interesting? Remember what we read in 2 Kings, how they would go to this tomb, they would find it, and they would bring the bones out, and they would burn them on the altar, just as God had prophesied 290 years earlier that we just read in chapter 13. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines and the high places which are the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. Jeroboam's religion is doomed, and so is all of man's religions. Now, I'm, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that people, I said the Roman Catholic Church, I'm not saying somebody can't go to a Roman Catholic Church and be saved. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand my words. What I am saying is it's in spite of the Catholic Church. It's in spite of the religion that they're saved by Jesus Christ. Just like it's possible, could someone in the Mormon church, or someone in one of the cults, could they be saved? Yes, they can, but it's in spite of the cult. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. Why did God do all of this to begin with? Because he was trying to get Jeroboam to repent and be reconciled. He didn't turn. He actually turns for the worse. But again, he made priests from every class of people for high places, whoever wished. And he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. Didn't he do the very same thing that Solomon did? The very thing that God came to him through Ahijah the prophet, Jeroboam that is, and said, don't do this. The reason that I am taking the kingdom out of Solomon's hands is because he has committed idolatry and what have you there. Don't you be like that, Jeroboam. And what did Jeroboam do? The exact same thing. Now, I have five things for you tonight, just as a closing here, that you should be mindful in regards to testing the word of God, testing the deceiving spirits, to know what is good and what you to hold fast to. The first thing, a true prophet's words, as we read in Deuteronomy, a true prophet's words will be fulfilled. That was Deuteronomy chapter 18. You can also read it in Jeremiah 28, by the way. Secondly, a true prophet's teachings are consistent with the word of God. They're consistent with scripture. They're not going to contradict the word of God at all. 2 Peter 1.20 and Revelation chapter 22 tells us, don't add anything to or take away from the word of God. A true prophet's teaching will encourage righteous behavior and provide spiritual benefit, right? Again, Jeremiah 23, or Ezekiel 13, or even Lamentations chapter 2, verse 14. A true prophet's life will reflect a divine call. Very important. A divine call, a call by God that you can sense or discern as the moving of the Spirit because as Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruits. And just as we read in Acts 13 and the way it defines ordination, it wasn't man that ordained Paul and Barnabas. It was us, the Holy Spirit, that is, us acknowledging the moving of the Holy Spirit upon a man's life. That's all we're doing. It's just catching up to the Holy Spirit who's already gone before us. That's the same thing with a prophet. A true, number five, a true prophet will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is divine. We read that earlier, right? 1 John chapter 4, remember that? And a true prophet will not encourage you to violate the immutability of God. Do you, do you, do you know what that means, the immutability of God? It's a very important um, axiom within Scripture, a doctrinal statement. What it means specifically is God's word doesn't change. It's called the immutability doctrine of the word of God. His word never changes. He's the ancient of days. What happened in this very scenario here was that this prophet, the old prophet had come to him and what did he say? I have a new word that did what? That told him to go contrary to the old word. You're not to come and eat. Well, God told you to come in and eat. It's called the immutability. God doesn't change. 
He's the Ancient of Days. God's not going to do that. God's not going to come tell you today, you know, go here, and then two days later, somebody comes to you and says, you're not going to go here anymore. God's told me you're to go here. No. Unless you meet privately with God, and God, through the word, gives you an additional word or redirects your steps, okay. But he doesn't use, or he's not going to turn around, and that's exactly what happened to that man of God. He didn't honor the doctrine of immutability. And because of that, he fell in disobedience. Very, very important, especially for us today, because there's a whole lot of people that are going in and trying to change. Well, God meant this. He didn't mean pre-tribulation. He meant you're going to go through the tribulation. No, that's not what he meant. He said the church is, 1 Thessalonians 5, the church is not given to what? Wrath. What is wrath? Wrath is judgment. Why? Because Christ paid it all on the cross. Why is he going to beat the bride when he turned around and saved the bride? The doctrine of immutability. Immutability. Can't happen. Again, Islam. You start to think of the 7th century, right? Problem there. Mormons, same thing. They push a new angelic revelation over God's sanctified word. Every single time you see a religion, that's exactly what happens. And this, again, is a big deal because most people that fall for these deceptions, like the, the, the cult of the Mormons or the church, you know, obviously Latter-day Saints and all of it there, you know who it is? There was a poll actually out. I forget what percentage it is. I don't have it right in front of me but it's mostly churchgoers. It wasn't people that weren't churchgoers. It was exactly what 1 Timothy 4 said. In the latter days, there will be a falling away to deceiving spirits of demons, doctrines of demons. So be careful. Be wise and gentle, right? What do we need to do? We need to be students of the word of God. We need to spend time with Jesus Christ. We need to read the word for ourselves. We need to come in and be under the word. The whole counsel of God. Not just a little bit here. Not just, well, I love the radio. Not just listen to the radio here and that's your, that's your devotional time with God. No, no. You need, if you, if, you can, if you have the ability to, with your eye, open the word of God and sit under it. And let him minister to you. Let him speak to you. Because he will warn you and he will protect you. He will protect you from these things. Please spend time on this. This is an important lesson. We're going to stop there, as I said, for tonight. Next week, if the Lord should tarry, uh, Pastor Steve's going to share next Wednesday. But the following Wednesday after that, we're going to be back in chapter 14, okay? And we're going to go through and continue on. And we're going to look at the, the judgment of the house that's going to come to Jeroboam. And then, obviously, he's going to flip right in the middle of chapter 14 and take our focus from the northern tribes back to the south. And we're going to go back to Rehoboam in Judah. Okay? Will you stand with me? We'll pray. I shared earlier that I felt like the Lord really had a word for us tonight in these last days. And, and, and I just found out, like I said earlier, someone had come in, we were chatting, and they said, did you just hear this? That, the, you know, the, the, the NARS coming into the area and they're going to be doing this thing at this conference. I said, oh, my. I said, Lord, I, now I know why you gave this word tonight. Now I know why you had us right here because there are deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons that are going on in this area right now with a little pixie dust and all the other stuff that's happening and falling from the sky and lathering up the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Those are doctrines of demons. And we need to call them for what they are. State of the word of God. State of the word of God. Father, go before us, Lord Jesus. And God, forgive me. If, I, if I've misspoken any aspect in any way uh, of anything in your word here, whether it's the pixie dust or any of that, Lord, and that's of you, God, then uh, forgive me, Lord Jesus. But, Lord, if these things are true, and, Lord, we know that man will be a liar, but you will always be true, God. Let us take these examples tonight that you've given us in your holy word that you have anointed as sovereign God. And Lord, we pray that you will seal them in our hearts tonight. That Lord, we would not fall prey to the deceiving spirits. Lord, I pray that you will protect the body of Christ here, Lord. 
from these deceiving spirits. I pray you will protect all of us from these lies and from these things that try to attempt to draw us away from you, Jesus, and right back to a religion of Jeroboam, a religion of golden calves, a religion of idolatry. God, please don't allow us. Protect us from ourselves, Jesus. Please, Lord, protect us from ourselves. God, I pray that you will bind the enemy and the demons and the deceiving spirits from coming anywhere near our hearts, our minds, our children's hearts, our minds, certainly our parents, our relatives, our friends, our families. God, Lord, I know you're doing a work in this city. Each and every week you meet us in your word. God, I pray and we pray together, you are glorified. Lord, continue if you should, uh, if you should Terry, continue to speak to our hearts. And give us a word for the days that we're living in, Lord, and how we can know and test. Lord, we do want to hear what your spirit has to say, but we know it will never contradict your word. So thank you, Jesus Christ, for your word. Thank you for coming and living inside of us. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that will never, ever deceive us. We pray all of this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you, and have a wonderful night in Christ Jesus.